house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Kenneth Branagh, the director of Henry V, and dead again, William Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. All women shall pardon me. I will live a bachelor. A dear happiness to women. <laughs> She's the sweetest lady that ever I looked on. Can the world buy such a jewel? If thou dost love, fair hero, cherish it. She shall be thine. Shall I never see a bachelor of three score again? I wonder that you will still be talking, Signor Benedict. Nobody marks you. I cannot endure my lady tongue. I shall see thee ere I die look pale with love. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast calling you Myron, even though your name is clearly Byron. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my visiting Italian prince, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Uh, I almost said bonjour. Um, uh... <laughs> Ciao, bella, bella bambina. Good morrow to you, sir. Um, this is kind of uh, Ciao, bella, bella bambina. The movie um, uh, we we like those here after our Captain Corelli episode. It's true, except nobody speaks in an Italian accent at all. Which yeah, is fun and funny. Always Every- funny about a Shakespeare adaptation where it's like it takes place in Italy, and it, clearly no one's. Italian. It reminded me of how many Shakespeare adaptations that I know of, and I am certainly not like a comprehensive Shakespeare guy. This podcast is really going to expose me as a Shakespeare dum-dum, so, like, get ready, oh, everybody. same. But, like, so much, so many of, like, the big major ones that I can think of are set in Italy. And, like, Shakespeare just doesn't have that, like, luxurious, you know, Italian vibe or whatever, which is, I don't know, it's kind of funny. But clearly, yeah. like, he se- he seemed to have viewed Italy as, you know, a fine place for, you know, romance or whatever. Yeah, know. to just be like collectively horny, right? Um, a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of you know, mm-hmm. romance troubled by uh, you know people thinking somebody is dead when they're not. You know, fun stuff, fun lighthearted stuff, <laughs> fun lighthearted stuff. This is kind of for a Shakespeare comedy. The whole scenario is kind of fucked up. Oh, well, absolutely. There's always, it's always gonna, you know, bring down the room when you get to the point in the movie where the woman is uh, framed for harlotry and then beaten by her father and cast out of her own family. That's, that's... And, uh, and like, fakes her death, or I guess they fake her death for her. Yeah, oh yeah, the father comes around and decides to do the right thing and fake his daughter's death. So truly, it is... um, a heartwarming tale of I, honestly okay so this movie fills like a few different parallel buckets for me which i kind of loved which is just like it's a shakespeare movie it is also a kenneth Branagh emma thompson movie which we will absolutely talk about it mm-hmm. is also a 
here's what's going on in 1993 movie where it's like Keanu fills that bucket, Robert Sean Leonard super fills that bucket. And even Ooh. like this was the point where like let's try Denzel and some new things and see what comes of it. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. But Which he's is, like a trained actor for this type of stuff and like totally. it, it's Exciting but in terms that it will not be the only Shakespeare uh, Denzel Washington movie. Yes, and in the uh, near future, it's yes. I'm super excited for that. Um, it, it, but it feels very like 1993 at the movies, where like up until this point, Denzel Washington had won the Oscar for Glory 1989, had just been nominated for Best Actor in Malcolm X, and a lot of people thought he should have won for that. He sort of lost out to the uh, Al Pacino sentimental train, which, like, fair enough. Like, Pacino should have already won an Oscar by that point anyway, and if history had done what it was supposed to do, then we would have been fine. Um, But now at this point in Hollywood, Hollywood is like, oh, Let's try not pigeonholing this guy in just like a very sort of like narrow lane of types of movies. And so 93 is Much Ado About Nothing, which, as you mentioned, like capitalizes on Denzel's incredibly, uh, you know, strong theatrical training and whatnot. And mm-hmm. um, The Pelican Brief, which is half acidly on Hollywood's part. Let's put this guy in a film with the biggest actress at the movies. And have them be a tandem, and yet also chicken out and not have them be a romantic tandem as they were in the novel The Pelican Brief. So, you know, sort of a, you know, two steps forward, one step back kind of a thing. But, like, a very exciting time. And also 1993 is Philadelphia. So truly, like, it's a real Denzel time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And it'll be real. you know, we can really delve into it. And how much this film both serves him and doesn't serve him in that regard. Yeah, it's like a weird asterisk performance for Denzel, not just for like 1993, but I will also say absolutely the hottest Denzel has ever been in a movie. Oh, that's a really good call, actually. Like, it's so, like, and I guess, like, maybe you could see it in grain racism thing. Why? But it is so weird to me that he's the one who does not end the movie partnered off because he's so hot in this movie. Well, but that's like that's in the text, right? Like Yes, but it's like why would you cast Why cast him? Yeah. His, yeah. Yeah, I guess that and and that sort of kind of ties into the Pelican uh, Pelican brief thing, you're right. Um mm-hmm. but this it's a really I would love to interesting see Denzel Washington's Benedict instead of Kenneth Branagh. But Kenneth Branagh's not going to like not allow himself to be that is Lothario. a true, but also true is Branna really does embody the infuriatingness of Benedict in this way, where it's mm-hmm. just like, you fucking child, like, get over yourself kind of a thing. Like, I mm-hmm. think, I think his persona really, really fits that role in a really interesting way. Much Ado About Nothing as a uh, play slash fodder for a movie in this regard. And again, listen to Dumb Dumb here you know, say a bad word about Shakespeare. And I'm not going to like, whatever, it's not criticism, but like, it's a really interesting, it's an imbalanced story where the Mm -hmm. most interesting character is Beatrice, is Emma Thompson's Beatrice in this. And the most interesting movie star moment in the movie is Denzel Washington as Don Pedro. And she 
completely is sort of siphoned out of the story by the second act or by the second half of it um mm-hmm. where she becomes incre- her her part sort of gets pushed to the side in favor of all the like machinations and how we have to figure out the plot of what's going on and washington as you mentioned is the only one without a romance and is the only one um sort of he's kind of supervising the sort of plottiness that happens in the second half of the movie mm-hmm. and it makes for kind of an odd viewing experience because I'm so often in this movie being like, can we get back to Emma Thompson? She's so much fun to watch. She's so good in this movie. It's the perfect role for her. I genuinely feel like, and she's been fabulous in so many other things. This particular era of Emma Thompson is like the golden age of Emma Thompson. But like, Mm -hmm. she's so perfect for this role and she does such a fantastic job. We accidentally walked ourselves into two episodes in a row with the same performer. Yeah. Um, again, which we have done before. It makes me wonder, is how close is Emma Thompson to a six-timers club for us? Hold your now horses. Now that we're starting to track these. Because after Meyerowitz last week, she just threw in two. I think this makes five, but like, uh, let me pull that up. It'd be really annoying on my part if I made such a big deal last time about how we're going to commemorate six-timers every time there is a six-timer, and then Emma just sneaks into there. Um, this is absolutely us uh, being accountable to our own uh, metrics. All right. Hold on a second. Ms. Emma Thompson... Hold on. Oh, all right. So this will be number four for Emma. This uh, follows Men, Women, and Children, Stranger yes, Than Fiction, and then last week we did the Meyerowitz stories. So this one, um, I'm just going to add it in right here. As you listen, listeners, let's just, <laughs> you are here as, as history is being made. Like I update the spreadsheet. <laughs> all right. What to do about how nothing. many Shakespeare references I can get in here? To make it seem like I know Shakespeare better. <laughs> Does this add to anybody else? We don't. We haven't really done a whole lot of Denzel or Keanu. We've never or really Ke- had the Michael Keaton conversation, which this no. is so he. I think he's terrible in this movie. Um, he sticks out like a real sore thumb. It's it's genuinely like Beetlejuice as Dogberry. It's um, yeah, and Dogberry is a character who stands out. Like I think it's it's sort of intentional that he does kind of stick out like a sore thumb in the in the story a little bit. But like Keaton is a lot. Keaton and Keanu Reeves were the they two spent actors. A lot of time with him. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the that's what I'm talking about about the imbalance in the second half of the movie, where it's just like we spend so much time with Dogberry, and it's just like why? And I don't know. Again, I'm very, very outside of like Shakespearean conversation, but like I don't know whether that's like a thing among Shakespeare scholars that like um, that's like notable about this play or whatever. But it's really noticeable in in the movie. But at the time, um, Keaton's performance. And and again, this is Keaton coming right off of two Batman movies and, you know, Beetlejuice. So it's just like, it is, in terms of a casting thing, like, it's everybody at the peak of their early 90s-ness, right? Emma Thompson, Denzel Washington, uh, Keanu just before Speed, and Keaton just after the Batman. So just like, it's truly kind of an apex kind of a movie. But Keaton and Keanu Reeves were the two who got the 
the bulk of the criticism from this movie about being miscast about being you know sort of out of place and not being able to keep up with the rest of the very talented cast Mm. so he yeah which is unsurprising like they're the two that, that come across as like the most sort of I mean, for lack of a better term, American. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, Robert Sean Leonard, too, because that was the one I was going to say. Like, the things I don't like about this movie are Michael Keaton as, like, an anthropomorphized, like, booger. <laughs> yeah. Of, like, a character. And he's yeah. very sweaty. He's got a lot of things going on with his teeth. But Robert Sean Leonard is like, oh, boy, you just needed... A, a like a pretty face and he sucks <laughs> so i'm How curious do you feel about Robert i don't do, do we do this now or do we wait till after the plot let's just do it now fine we've got a whole lot more other fish to fry so like we'll do the robert sean leonard thing now what are your feelings about robert sean leonard as an actor as a moment as sort of like is does he hold any kind of place within your psyche at all as a moment, I should have facial blindness to him, but like I've seen a lot of those very similar '90s movies where he's usually playing some type of student. See, I think with, this is or with like some kind of mentor, and I think he's generally fine to not great in those movies. But I think he's actively terrible in this. What about you? I don't think he's great in this movie, but I also think he's absolutely playing the most reprehensible character. So like, right, stick a pin in that for a second. I th- there usually on this podcast, our relatively small age difference doesn't matter. We generally tend to be in the same kind of like general era of each other. I think Robert Sean Leonard is one of those people who pinpoints the little bit of age difference between us, where like there was a like six to eight year period where like, it's not like he was in everything, but like everything that he was in felt very sort of like targeted where it's like, he's the doomed gay kid in dead poet society. And he's the dying gay son of Glenn close in, um, in the gloaming. And, um, swing kids was one of those student movies that I think you're talking about. And I remember him from the last days of disco where he's again, just like, one of those fuckboys in a movie full of fuckboys. Also, reunion with Kate Beckinsale. That's interesting. That Last Days with Disco was a Much Ado About Nothing reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, but didn't always play characters that I necessarily knew I was identifying with. But, like, mm. he played enough doomed either queer people or, like, queer coded people like finding out later in life that robert sean leonard is straight and married to a woman devastated me for like a day and a half where i was just like no (laughs) because like for whatever reason he's sort of in the little kind of like patchwork quilt of my uh you know uh the building of my psyche as a young gay kid like he's got a little corner of that and so it was interesting watching him in this movie and again, playing heterosexual, which is fine because like he even he, mm-hmm. even when he plays straight characters, they're always sort of, there's still there's a little um 
Like, at any point, if some, like, man burst into the scene and been like, we've been in a relationship for ten years, I'd be like, yes! That's absolutely what's going on. (laughs) So, like, there's always something, you know, there with him and whatever. But, um, yeah, he's not great in this movie. There's um, a couple scenes that call for him to really take on the burden of acting, sort of like capital A acting, and he doesn't meet that task. But, like, holy mackerel in this movie... Um, is it Claudio? Is that his character's name? Yes. What a fucking fuckboy this guy is. Like, what a, like, like, <laughs> like, seems to be the sort of, like, the nice guy, the sort of, like, lovelorn, and, oh, oh, I'm so in love with this woman, and, 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 you know, whatever, I'm, I'm the innocent little lamb, tries to be, like, the sort of, like, Romeo character, if for lack of a better mm-hmm. term. And yet, twice within the span of, like, at best, 70 minutes in this movie um he falls for the dumbest most obvious traps imaginable falls for the dumbest most obvious traps and like very easily flips the switch into believing that kate beckinsale's character hero um is fucking around on him is either like you know flirting with denzel or fucking that gross sweat hog that uh Imelda Staunton ends up being the woman who is getting railed by this guy. Um Imelda Staunton by the way who is like um uh s- like strumpet with a conscience later on oh, in this yeah. movie. She is the like Saint Polly girl um <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> just like a stein in each hand and just like yep. yep, yep, that's her. Yeah, so yeah, Claudio is um a disaster, but a disaster, and then is like, just believe this is my. This, but that's here's in the, the text thing where though, I'm like, so like, okay, clearly Shakespeare's plays were written. I mean, like, I don't. That's the dumbest thing I've ever almost said that Shakespeare's plays were written in a different time. But like, so much doesn't it? Isn't it drama. easy to sound fucking? dumb talking about Shakespeare. Like I feel I like I have no business We're, mentioning guys, his name. This is going to be the episode where we are. Um, very stupid. Uh, just throwing it out there now. Where because my instinct is to be like, that's a weird choice for a writer, <laughs> but it's just like, but it's fucking Shakespeare. So like, Jesus Christ, I can't even. Ugh, um, anyway, though, my point is like, so much of like the uh, twists and turns of Shakespeare's drama relies on people just like believing what they're told without scrutiny Um, and like i understand that you know centuries ago evidence was a very different thing yeah yeah, you didn't have receipts back then so yeah yeah yeah. there were there were you know claudio's not showing up and saying show me the receipts show me the receipts where where is her death certificate (laughs) right Uh, asking you know zero questions people just believe what they're told and it's like what does he, he like looks through a keyhole and confuses kate beckinsale for Imelda Staunton. Well, okay, this is the other thing. So, like, it's it's um, he looks at a at a at a tower and sees them fucking in the window, not the keyhole. But um, it's or is the keyhole thing, a different time? Thing. Anyway, I don't know. People, but also it's just like you're right. Like people were far seem to be far more credulous in these stories. But also it's like she had the same hair. Like she, you seen her from behind. Like it's not like everybody was so distinctive back then. Like you weren't yeah. going to be able to mistake it. I don't know. Also like corrective vision wasn't a thing either. So like dollars to donuts, sure. you didn't have the best eyesight. And uh, 
dumb dumb. What a dumb dumb, Claudio. Yeah, it does rely on people just like you know believing whatever narrative they're being sold. This movie. Yeah. And, like, the manipulation of it, too, because a lot of it is these characters, like, manipulating their, like, love surroundings. You have the whole, um, like, Benedict listening in on Beatrice scene. I'll tell you what, though. It's real easy to see why Shakespeare's plays have been easily adapted into these kind of, like, modern context um Mm -hmm. sort of like you know now it's a teen comedy and it's just like yeah because we have never as a culture fallen out of love with the idea that a misunderstanding can create a movie's worth of plot yes we just love that shit like that's just like that's never gonna go away we you know we are a threes company culture and we always have been and (laughs) honestly that's fine (laughs) Do you want to do the plot summary so we can actually, like, dig into this thing? Yeah, I think for this one episode, instead of uh, the 60-second plot description, we can just call it the Cliff Notes. Ah, very good. Yeah, it's Shakespeare. Cl- closest hey. I've ever probably got to reading Shakespeare. I think I read in school a couple of Shakespeare's. I know I read Macbeth because I was just like, it was a, it was a, it was an ordeal reading Macbeth. And I'm pretty sure I read Hamlet. And... That, Lord, I mean, well, I've read a bunch of Shakespeare. Doesn't mean that I'm good at like interpreting it or yeah. you know talking about it or understanding. Oh, I'm definitely it. the 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 more of a dum dum of the two of us. Trust me. Um, I've got a minute on the clock. If you're ready to uh, wade through the machinations of this film, all right. Uh, uh, sure. All right. Much ado about nothing in one minute from Chris File, starting in now. All right, guys, the war is over and everyone's horny. Um, Two brothers, uh, Don John and Don Pedro, who, like, were against each other in the war, but now I guess they've made peace because, like, the the battle is over or whatever. Anyway, it's a bunch of dudes, like, descending upon this village where there's a lot of women there. Uh, 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 Claudio is, like, a young guy who's underneath Don Pedro's, like, uh, ward or whatever. He falls in love with... Hero immediately, and like they want to get married, blah 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 blah. blah. But uh, Don John, because he is evil and like wants to get back at all of them, like stages this thing where like Hero is, uh, you know, um, uh, cheating on him. Anyway, that on the day of their wedding, he's like, "You cheated on me," and then they all like run away. It's a big ordeal. Um, and then like uh, uh, Beatrice and Benedict, who really have nothing to do with the actual story of it, uh, she tells him that he has to go and like. Figure it out. Figure it out. Fix it, Steve. Um, and uh, he, he that's kind of does, fine. Wow. wow. Um. Yeah. So uh, then they eventually come back. Don John flees. It's all fake anyway. Uh, he says he's gonna marry Hero's uh, cousin or sister or whatever to make up for cousin. Like, yeah, causing her to die. They don't explicitly say suicide or anything. No, they and the way and Benedict sort of like alive and everybody's happy, and then Benedict yeah. and Beatrice finally get together. Listen, your minutes up, sir. Um, no, you bring up two really excellent points, but yeah, you're right. Benedict kind of just is like you killed her with words, and it's just like okay. Um, a Don Pedro. So- is up to like five minutes before this movie begins at war with his brother, uh, Don right. John. And then at, as they like arrive in the city, they're like there together again. And I'm just like, okay, 
we can blame Don John for what happens later in the movie that he schemes just <laughs> basically feels like he's like, I don't like seeing other people being happy. I'm crabby. I'm going to like make trouble, yeah. which honestly, that was the story of Justin on Real World Hawaii. So I get it. I truly get it. Like, <laughs> I sympathize. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, as in the case of Justin on Real World Hawaii, a gay guy just needs to make trouble. And I get it. Like, Don John just, you Don know, John stays petty. Stays petty, and we appreciate that, man. But also, can we really blame him from, like, Tom Pedro, like, you were just at war with this guy. You brought him into this lake town. You know, at some point, we bring heartache on ourselves. And truly, this was a moment like that. Um, But you also bring up the fact that, like, Beatrice and Benedict's roles in this really do seem incredibly superfluous. And, like, I guess everything else that happens is a counterpoint to because like the whole thing is like beatrice is just like i shall never settle for a man a old mm-hmm. man is too old and a young man is too young and yada 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 she's like she's the fucking goldilocks of men um, they have like this whole like interplay that you could say is more like thematic texture for like the the whole like uh, i guess gender dynamic of it because it's like all these men are dumb uh but at the same time like they don't really actually have much function in the plot in the way that it's 900 other characters have some type of piece right. in making it turn. Like, I don't know. Like, what do they, they, they don't really do much that's substantive, especially Beatrice, which like sucks, especially because she's playing this character. That's like, I don't want to marry a man. I am enough of a, my own person. And the play itself does not allow her to be much of a person plot wise so and it makes it very easy to just sort of like stick a pin in her character and just like we'll get back to you later ma'am but like yeah, when we need you to just like fall in love with benedict she's she's an incredibly interesting character because from the from the opening minutes of the movie where she's just like she's saying this poem that kind of bookends the the film and also sort of crops up in song in the middle um and everybody's kind of listening to her, and you get the sense that she is, like, the life of this little, whatever, town, feudal community, whatever the fuck is you call those, like, things. Um, that she's sort of, everybody likes her. Everybody listens to her. She reads poems. She tells jokes. Everybody laughs. She's a wit. She's a charmer. Like, everybody kind of just loves Beatrice. And... Her whole thing is she's, you know, she's too tempestuous to, you know, settle down or whatever. And she's, she seems like it, you really get the sense that like she's the, um, she's too smart and funny for men. Like men are intimidated by her or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. all very cool. And she has, you know, she makes a great case for, you know, why she doesn't want to settle down with a man. And then as, uh, you know, all these other characters decide they're going to play sneaky matchmaker and they, essentially tell her that benedict likes her and tell him that beatrice likes him and like the instant she hears that benedict likes her she like flips the switch and she's just like oh i suppose i shall settle down and it's just like there's like this montage of her in a swing and him running that was very funny i will say props to kenneth branagh as director of this movie i thought that was a very funny moment this movie is like orchestrally horny. Like she's just like uh, vibing on a swing while she's like, "I love him," <laughs> and he's running through these fields. Like I love her, and it's like all like 
cross-faded across each other. Yes. So let's start with Branna because I feel like he's sort of the foundation we should, you know, build on for this. Yes. Um, classically... I hadn't realized before doing my research that he's one of the um, uh, somewhat rare uh, first-time directors that gets a directing nomination. Yeah. For Henry V. Well, he's one of these sort of, he's, you know, classically trained, Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, like, all of that. Um, had done a lot of theater in England and in London. Obviously, Shakespeare felt very sort of, like, in his bones. And then that's kind of how he entered the Hollywood ecosystem, was he was the Shakespeare guy. His first nomination, as you mentioned, was he got acting and directing nominations. It was a very much, Mm -hmm. I wonder, I wasn't really attuned to the Oscar conversation in 1989, which is when Henry V came out, and he gets nominated for director and actor, but I do wonder if he drew Olivier comparisons or not, because it was, you know, acting and directing. I think he tried to uh, perpetuate those. That would not surprise me whatsoever. Certainly Um, into the 90s, when you're getting into things like four and a half hours of Hamlet. (laughs) Right, right. But like, and again, that kind of... um, feeds into that whole thing where he's he's Hollywood's Shakespeare guy. And Henry V, 1989, is the big sort of breakthrough. He makes Dead Again in 1991 with Emma Thompson. All At this point, he's in a relationship with Emma Thompson. So she's in Henry V. She's in Dead Again in 19... 19- she's basically in all of his first four movies. Dead Again in 1991, which is this, like, noir... Um, mystery right romantic thriller it's like mystery a genre kind of movie if you know what the twist is i've had several people tell me that i would love this movie it's really good like and it's again it's you know emma thompson and derek jacoby's in it and it's you know very well acted and very, it's very um stylish like very kind of like self-consciously stylish but in a way that an appeals that appeals to me so i like mm-hmm. that he directs then the year after that he directs peter's friends which is a sort of British big chill, I would maybe describe it as, mm-hmm. with Emma's in that too, and it's all of their like actor friends are all together. Legend so Rita Rudner. Rita Rudner's in it, but like it's Emma. Rita Rudner's kind of the outlier in terms of um she's the American in the cast. Mm-hmm. But a lot of crossover with the cast of this movie. Imelda Staunton is in that movie and Phil Little Law, who is Emma's mother. Both of them are in that movie. But Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie, who were, along with Emma, all in that little acting sort of troupe that they were in together, right? They all had, like, Mm -hmm. this very um, sort of intricate past together. And it's essentially, as I said, just sort of like British Big Chill. They're they're young friends from university who are uh, back together hanging out for a weekend, and and it's it's pretty good. I saw it semi-recently. I had done... Um, the Mixed Reviews podcast on Emma Thompson. So that was part of my study up for that. And then year after that is this movie, Is Much Ado About Nothing. And that's sort of the Emma Thompson quartet of Kenneth Branagh's ca- uh, career because after this Abruptly movie... ends right, of his he, own doing. Yeah, he starts filming Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which is his big genre leap into like Hollywood, Hollywood. Now all of a sudden he's not the Shakespeare guy. He's going to be remaking 
uh, classic, all classic literature. Right. So Mary, I will say Mary Shelley's Frankenstein kind of slaps. I like that movie. Wow. (laughs) Okay. I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. Um, it it was, it was a lot for me back then. (laughs) It was, it's so gross. It is so like, I don't know. Like part of me is like, it feels like, a response to Bram Stoker's Dracula that like just didn't get what that movie was doing right. and it was just like well we can just throw a ton of money at these old horror novels because uh, it's like everything looks expensive. De Niro plays the monster in like De Niro's got like staples on his face in this makeup Okay so like, agree or disagree Agree or disagree um, De Niro in that movie is a precursor to um, Nolan's Batman movies and this kind of trend of making these fantastical yeah. villains into like here's what they would really look like if this was really happening like where oh absolutely yeah and nobody really absolutely. ever talks about that but like I absolutely think that's a thing mm-hmm. but so in that film the the female lead in that film is Helena Bonham Carter um, who had co-starred with Emma as sisters in Howard's End to put you know salt in that love at howard's end um branna and bonham carter begin an affair while making mary shelley's frankenstein he ends up leaving emma thompson for helena they are together for another like five or so years and then she leaves him for tim burton which you know good for the goose good for the gander as far as i'm concerned um but so then branna kind of and that's like it's a pretty public like, it was, you know, they weren't exactly, like, um, Brad and Angelina and Jennifer in America, but, like, on a sort of, like, smaller scale of, like, respected British actors, it was pretty um, notorious mm-hmm. in terms of, like, a, a, you know, scandalous kind of a story. So and he kind of fascinating for how it didn't really, I guess maybe Brad, Angelina, Jennifer is a decent analog because this is the type of thing that doesn't, you know, it, somebody's career is usually hurt in these type of situations, right? Like, I'm thinking of, like, Sienna Miller with Jude Law. Right. But, like, the good thing about this one is the one whose career takes a hit is the one whose career should take a hit, which is Branna. Like, it's the actual cheater in that situation in that situation right like Emma's- i mean i guess you could say that because like frankenstein well i don't think it hurt his reputation in any way though because you have hamlet soon after this okay but but counterpoint after this does come hamlet which is well reviewed but also is seen as incredibly indulgent and, and then, vain and, and vain like, and everything like that and feeds into unwieldy and feeds into everybody's preconceptions of Branna from what happened with the affair right and mm-hmm. then after hamlet it is a good decade the before he makes wild... another movie that anybody sees right which is sleuth which is another bomb and then it's another 4 years after that before somehow he convinces marvel to what's that he has the wildest director filmography. He does. He's made so many movies. Um, right. But like now between... it just seems he's like a studio guy for the most part, but he's still trying to do Shakespeare stuff because... Well, and now he's like, we're going to let you just like make all the Poirot movies, even though like Murder in the Orient Express was crap. Like he's still, you know, he's making Death on the Nile this year, which right. I, a sucker, am all absolutely going to see. But um, 
Yeah, after Hamlet, it's this like decade of anonymity. He makes a couple other um Shakespeare adaptations, but like Love Labor's sees Loss, that. which correct me if I'm wrong, is a musical? Or he tried to make it a musical? That could be. I never saw it. It has like Alicia Silverstone, doesn't it? It uh yes, and Alessandro Nivola and Matthew Lillard and Natasha McElhone and Nathan Lane. What an interesting There's cast. no way that it's actually a musical unless they're all lip syncing. I don't think it is, but the poster literally I'm looking on Wikipedia and the poster looks like the poster for a um early two thousands uh WB series or whatever, where it's mm-hmm. just like it's young attractive William Shakespeare's Degrassi right (laughs) yes it's young attractive dancers like draped all over each other sort of like lying down like a gap ad like all the men are wearing these sort of like white tank top tees that look very very gap ad to me but it does not Mm -hmm. seem like either a Shakespeare thing or a Kenneth Branagh thing which maybe was like what he was going for with that but Mm -hmm. again that makes no impact after Hamlet that makes no impact and then he doesn't as you like it for hbo with bryce mm-hmm. dallas howard and our beloved rama Lagari that also does nothing that's in 2006 and i think it got sold to hbo like i remember yeah. that being like on long-term predictions with before it was with a distributor and i think it was hbo that picked it up but i could be wrong and that's the same year as the village Why right for bryce that? dallas howard close oh six if it's not the same year forget when the village is oh six sounds right yeah so then yes so then as the village is like oh four because i think i was still in high school okay well then yeah shortly thereafter shortly after the village um as i mentioned sleuth in oh seven michael kane uh jude law jude law remaking a michael kane role isn't that Mm -hmm. uh it's a remake and jude law played the uh or uh michael kane played Jude Law's role in the original. Yes. With, right. I think, Olivier. Right. Which doesn't Jude Law do that? No. Yes, Jude Law does that twice in his career, because Alfie, of course, we talked about Alfie mm-hmm. on this very podcast. What an odd little thing. What an odd little career quirk. So yeah, and then again, another four years, and then somehow, literally still have no idea how this came about, but that Marvel was looking for somebody to direct Thor... If you know somebody who's more well versed in the Marvel mythos than I am could probably explain what exactly went on there, but Branagh gets on to I direct. I think it's the- honestly a perfect choice, though. I do too, and I think I think all the Thor movies are underrated, except for Ragnarok, which I think is overrated. But like, talk to me about my Crazy. Thor opinions; I'll bore you for an afternoon. Um, the first Thor is like has its problems, but like. It's a really interesting movie, and it knows what it has in Chris Hemsworth and sort of, like, you know, gives him his moment to shine and, you know, walk around Arizona with his shirt off, and it's wonderful. Um, And then Thor does really well, as Marvel movies do. And so then it gets to, now all of a sudden, Bran is on this, like, blockbuster track where he makes jack ryan shadow recruit somehow and then directs the <laughs> disney live action remake of cinderella and then they're like hey also a strong choice i think for that i think that cinderella is not bad of all the like disney live action remakes it's one of my favorite ones which We're is to say it's this the fun. day after mulan has dropped I oh which i haven't seen we'll yet probably watch it yeah 
Um, maybe I'll watch that tonight, although I have to watch the Charlie Kaufman tonight as well. So that seems like a um, emotional whiplash that maybe I shouldn't do both of those in the same day. But we'll see. So yeah. That Kaufman. Jack Ryan Shattered Recruit in 15. Cinderella 2016. Murder on the Orient Express, which I really was excited for, and it was such a bummer to me that it was bad. And... Of course, the Shakespeare film All is True, AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. Nominee. AARP Movies for Grown Ups, Boner Town, All is True. <laughs> and then, did I tell you I tried to watch Artemis Fowl this year on Disney Plus? <laughs> Disney Plus original Artemis Fowl? I made it halfway through because it's, you know, at worst, I was like, it's Colin Farrell and Judy Dench. Judy Dench, <laughs> the accent Judy Dench is doing in this something? movie is so weird. It's like, um, it's like, a leprechaun who smoked for 50 years like that's sort of the voice she's going for that sounds it's, great that it sounds kind great. of is but like i couldn't like i got bored with the movie and i just never returned to it that's the danger by the way of premiering your film on a streaming platform is if you start to lose your audience they will just like pause it and be like i'll finish watching it later and then they never ever will and so such was my fate with Artemis Fowl. And now he's got, as I said, Death on the Nile coming soon, later this year, early next year. Who's to say when movies happen again? But um, Theoretically this year. I do. I saw that trailer and I was just like, God. Yeah. I was damn it. I want to I was this. like, this trailer is good. I'm so Even mad. I hate that it's doing the same thing that yes! the original Murder on the Orient Express trailer did, where it's like, it was set to like, imagine dragons or something. <laughs> truly the dumbest and i forget what it is in the death of the nile trailer but it was like they're just following the same formula and it's stupid but i'm falling for it also i want at some point um for gal gadot and anna de armas to do one of those um things where like you're seeing both of them in profile and they're like getting closer and closer to each other and like then their faces like become each other's faces like that kind of thing like they are i don't know um but just like they have there's such a similarity to both like they're both career paths and also like they look kind of alike so it's just i don't know something sisters i'd be into that they should play sisters that would be great that'd be a great idea so yeah kenneth branagh is one of those his i think when harry potter cast him as gilderoy lockhart like that was perfect casting because it's exactly how we feel about kenneth branagh in the culture i believe which is we mostly respect his talent we think he's kind of a pompous ass but we're comfortable with that Right? So long as it's not my week with Marilyn, we're comfortable with that. Well, and he didn't have creative input in that. He was just in it, where he played sure. Laurence Olivier. Um, which, like, talk about, like, Boner Town. Talking about, like, you know, he was just, like, Kenneth Branagh being horny for himself playing Laurence Olivier is, like, perfect. Like, perfect. I think Kenneth Branagh would have murdered whoever else would have played or been cast as Laurence <laughs> Olivier. It was just never going to happen as anyone else. There would have been blood on... Yeah, and he gets an Oscar nomination for it, which uh, classic like Only supporting actor nomination, nomination that I don't for get. Acting though, he's one of the he's one of uh, like the fun trivia factoid people, the like Christine Lottie of it all. Uh, this person has been nominated for a short film. Um, oh, so yeah, he has a short that he's nominated for. Interesting, and then the dual nominations for Henry V, and then 
the acting nomination for My Week with Marilyn. So it was like two oh, that's decades fascinating. between acting nominations for him. Yeah. 1989 and 2011. Surprising. Yeah. Yeah. So he's just one of those performers you think would have more acting nominations than they do. But then when you actually look right. at his filmography, right. it's less surprising. Although I bet you he has got like a shitload of BAFTA nominations. Like I'm sure that's a whole other story. I wonder, but I'll look it up. I mean, BAFTA in the 90s was less aligned with Oscar, so that's possible. But You look that up while I sort of uh, get us started down the Emma Thompson road. Because, like, it's a very interesting sort of, like, fork in the road moment where when she stops working with Branna and their marriage ends, which is after Much Ado About Nothing, which is after this movie, this year, 1993, was like... Emma Thompson had arrived in America, and America was like, yes, thank you more, please. Where um, she sort of breaks... She already had her Oscar. Right. Breaks onto the scene in 92 with Howard's End is that kind of, we never knew there was this talent just an ocean away. And she comes over and she sweeps everything. She wins Best Actress everywhere. Like, literally, if your grammar school had a spelling bee, at some point they were like, we're going to take a moment and we're going to award our Best Actress Prize to Emma Thompson and Howard's End. It was like, it was that uh, far-reaching of a sweep for Emma Thompson. And good for her. She's fantastic in that movie. Um, Howard's End always feels like a movie that I always, for a half a second, think won Best Picture, even though it obviously didn't. It lost to um, Unforgiven. Just because it feels like one of those English patient-style, you know, big epic sweep kind of a movie mm-hmm. um huge you know huge sensation back when oscar still was like deeply in love with um english country manor movies costume dramas yeah for sure merchant ivory exactly that movie has such like an interesting like oscar and awards trajectory because it was open for a very long time and spent a like huge portion of the year with a literal, like, nationwide exclusive engagement at the Paris Theater in New York. Not playing wow. anywhere else. Is that true? That's amazing. Yeah. It feels emotionally true anyway, but, like, that's that's fantastic. It's such a great movie. So the, speaking... The shambling corpse of Box Office Mojo oh, and see God. how long it played. Um, But she sticks with Merchant Ivory in 93 for... The Remains of the Day, my personal favorite Merchant Ivory movie of the films that I have seen. She is opposite, once again, Anthony Hopkins. So it's the 1991 Best Actor and the 1992 Best Actress now reuniting for The Remains of the Day. They're both um, domestic help in this mansion in the days before World War II, and sort of things are ending in a general kind of sense, and there's a lot of you know the conflict between propriety versus um passion because they both love each other and they you know whatever things stand in the way it's a wonderful movie they're both fantastic they both get nominated for oscars they're not going to win because they've won so recently but you get the sense that if they hadn't that they would have been much more formidable contenders for the ultimate winners who were tom hanks in philadelphia and holly hunter Mm -hmm. in the piano i can imagine if if a if for whatever reason Emma Thompson had been upset in '92, let's say, who would have even done it? Like her, it's I, pro, you know, not Michelle Pfeiffer in Love Field, not Catherine Deneuve, not 
Mary McDonald and Passion Fish. Who's the I other just one watched Love Field and it is so abominable. Everybody who says that, everybody who watches Love Field says it's really bad. It's I will say garbage. I don't understand that nomination whatsoever. Michelle Pfeiffer isn't even good in the movie. But Pfeiffer was at a moment where I think right really really right. loved Ma- um, Mary McDonald and Passion Fish in John Sells Passion Fish is genuinely fantastic and would have deserved an Oscar. Oh, the other one was. Um, Oh, who I loved. Okay, so Susan Sarandon for Lorenzo Zoyle could have theoretically won it because that was the the, um, post Thelma and Louise where, like, Mm -hmm. it was really starting to be, like, you know, Sarandon's, you know, she should have an Oscar. So if that had happened and Emma Thompson goes into 93 having been uh, upset for the Oscar for Howard's End and now it feels like, oh, now we owe her one and it's The Remains of the Day where she kicks ass and it's her up against Holly Hunter in the piano who was, like, winning everything that year that would have been a really yeah. interesting race like that could have been the kind of race where they could have winning split everything votes. to the point where she's up against angela bassett and right. what's love got to do with it i knew you were gonna bring this like, up <laughs> well you know it's like one of my favorite performances uh-huh. ever um like yep. i mean i fucking mean you guys i mean angela bassett was probably second place though over emma thompson because she got the globe probably um, so but but so much did Hollywood love Emma Thompson and Holly Hunter that year that they yeah. gave both of them supporting actress nominations as well that year. Emma for In the Name of the Father, which was a Best Picture nominee, right? Yes. Best Picture nominee, yes. a Jim Sheridan, Daniel Day-Lewis joint. Uh, Emma plays a lawyer. She's, it's you know It's one of those things where if she's not Emma Thompson, she doesn't get the nomination that character doesn't right. get the nomination because it's just like she is that ultimately she's the lawyer and then holly hunter one of my favorite weirdo nominations where she gets nominated for the firm for essentially being like a brassy secretary <laughs> yes but she's also like she's kind of like the girl friday of the film right where you know she's plucky and Absolutely she, insane. she's sort of it's a linchpin about the movie i love her i love her performance in that movie she's so good you i will say not to like you know, indict you for your letterbox ratings. I think you didn't like the firm as much as I thought you should have liked the firm. I, I really I was just like, this is fine. This the is firm fine. Is so and this is fun. Too long. But I the second Holly Hunter shows up as a yard ornament, <laughs> I was like, oh thank God. She's so fun in that movie. She's so fun. I want to know how the hell she got cast in that role. I don't know what unwell person thought, you know who would be good in this, like, floozy role? Holly Hunter. And they were absolutely right. Holly Hunter is having a blast. So, quickly, though, after this, like, amazing 1993 for Emma, then she kind of starts to get pushed into the Hollywood thing as well, sort of. She's like, she sort of like goes one in one where she makes Junior with Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1994, the Ivan Reitman movie Junior, which is like truly fucking wild. Schwarzenegger's only Golden Globe nomination for acting. Um, Then, but also like then 95, it's Carrington, the Christopher Hampton adaptation and Sense and Sensibility, which is another huge Oscar year for her. She wins the Screenplay Award. She's nominated for Best Actress. It's like... Gives some of the best uh, speeches all year long. Truly phenomenal. But then it's like she makes Primary Colors, where she plays essentially Hillary Clinton, a role I fucking love, but I know that movie is pretty divisive, but like I am definitely on the pro side of Primary Colors. It's so indulgent yet wonderful to me. I will watch it again and again. I imagine you don't like it. 
I I I saw it when I was a kid and I don't remember anything about it. It's it's definitely Mike Nichols gathers some great actors together to put on a wild ass fucking show, but like I really enjoy it. Kathy Bates should have won the Oscar for it. Um, she makes this really weird movie called Judas Kiss in 1998, another movie that I watched when I prepared for mixed reviews, and it is fucking awful. And it's her and um, <laughs> Alan Rickman, those poor, poor souls, and it's really bad. And she has a terrible American accent. Emma Thompson's American accent is so um, bad, but like... It's, it's, it just feels unnecessary. Yes. Do you, she It doesn't need it. We know who Emma Thompson is. We sign up for Emma Thompson. We it's, know, it's the classic. We know how she's going to feed the children. We know We know what she's uh, got going for It's her. the classic chewy American accent where some Brits sort of play American accent and really kind of like masticate the R's and really like sort of like hit those consonants hard. Um, what we're saying is let Emma Thompson be British. I always think of Ben Kingsley in... Um, uh iron man 3 when he's um when he's still pretending to be the mandarin and he's just like chewing on his r's um but what was i gonna say emma thompson american accent oh but i will say and i know that like ellen is a topic these days and whatever we don't endorse ellen but we're gonna talk about her sitcom um when Emma Thompson was on Ellen that year after uh, she came out, which was like the wildest fucking year of Ellen ever, and Emma comes on as herself. She's a talk show guest guest on the talk show that Ellen's character works on and um, is preparing to, we think, come out as a lesbian on this talk show is like, you know, ha 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 parallel to whatever, you know, what happened the year before on Ellen. But what really the secret she's trying to hide is that she's um, uh, from Dayton, Ohio, I think it is. Like, she's like, she's really an American and she's really from Ohio. And that's what she's been trying to hide. I learned the accent from the Julie Andrews movies. All right. classy roles was to pretend to be British. Besides, you know, I, I, I wasn't getting anywhere as an actor in Ohio. Oh, I can't come out to the world tonight. You know, I, I, I can face telling them that, that I'm gay. You know, Hollywood people can deal with that. But the, there is no Dayton chic. <laughs> And that like really plays with her American accent very well, and it's very funny. Um. Anyway, Emma Thompson. That's the other thing is like Emma Thompson being secretly super funny also kind of like snuck up on American audiences in a way that was, um, sort of fun. Yeah, that's because wh- she emerged in dramas basically. Well, that's why every she's time one of the funniest people alive. Right. That's why every time she shows up on an award show and says something like delightfully funny, uh, you know, presenting an award or accepting an award, Goes everybody like Golden flips Globe their lid. Stage with her shoes off in her right. hand with a martini or something. Right. And we all, because again, there's something in our, you know, odd little American brains where we still expect her to be, you know, Eleanor Dashwood or whatever. And that's uh, very funny. Anyway, um, she starts to sort of like split time between like the Nanny McPhee's of the world and like her Harry Potter appearances. 
and but still kind of throwing in something really great every once in a while. I think she's phenomenal in Love Actually. I think she's really good in Stranger Than Fiction, a film we talked about a little while ago. Um, I think she's great in Brideshead Revisited, that uh, adaptation that very few people saw, but I thought was really good in 2008. She's great in an education. She sort of gives Carrie mm-hmm. Mulligan what for in that movie. She does a lot of those movies like that. And what was the Beanie Feldstein movie we saw where she just shows up for a scene? How to Build a Girl. Like completely, yeah, dismantles any young woman before her. Right. Um, we talked about uh, liking her in the Meyerowitz stories when we talked about that last week. But like, it seems like every time lately that it feels like we're setting her up for an Oscar push. Mm-hmm. That just turns out to be bad. Saving Mr. Banks just turns out to be a bad Not movie. Not a good movie. Nobody sees Last Chance Harvey, even though she and Dustin Hoffman are pretty good in that. Um, Late Night had that like Sundance buzz that wasn't sustainable um, last year. But, I mean, I, for one, would love to see another um, Emma Thompson run at an Oscar. I'm just I sort of waiting for it to happen. And- will likely happen again i was sort of hopeful for that richard ayer movie she did a couple years ago the children act where Mm -hmm. she plays the the, McEwen adaptation yes she plays a magistrate of some sort in england who takes a strong interest in a particular case and richard ayer of course directed um notes on a scandal which is such a Mm -hmm. delicious you know indulgent wonderful piece of beautiful trash and i say trash in the most admiring mm-hmm. way it um, is the finest trash it is the finest trash so good that it got nominations for judy dench and kate blanchett and so i was sort of hopeful that like the children act could give emma something juicy like that to work with and it doesn't and nobody saw it and whatever but you know we hope we hope for emma right always we hope for emma always okay so with your permission, do you want to detour into this little game I made about Uh-oh. Shakespeare before we continue on with the rest of our uh, Much Ado talk? You know what? Sure. Let's, let's, uh, why not have a game? Okay. So last two weeks ago, when we talked about the Way Way Back, we talked about blacklist scripts and i played our little game that i still don't have a name for even though i should where i give you the names of three movie characters and you tell me the film that all three of those actors appeared in together we should call it namey thing i don't know three names Um, or something three names yes three names above uh ebbing missouri okay so i am going to do this with Shakespeare adaptations, the various All right. fun and interesting Shakespeare adaptations. So some of them I made a little bit harder, but only because there are only so many Shakespeare adaptations. And I feel like you'll be able to sort of pull from a bank of possible answers. So how many uh, how many uh, movies do you have for me? I think I've got like a dozen. We'll okay. see. We'll see how we go. We'll see how I might cut some if we take too long. But you know what? I think we're going to have a good time with it. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. First one. The names of the three characters are Calvin Candy, Cosette, and Luigi Mario. 
<laughs> okay. Well, it's John Leguizamo, uh, cause, uh, is Luigi Mario. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, Cosette is Claire Danes from the non-musical Les Miserables. So it is definitely William Shakespeare's, uh, Romeo plus Juliet. It is William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet. Do you have any idea who Calvin Candy is? It is, oh, that's, uh, that's Leo in, uh, Django Unchained. Very good. Uh, Very well done. All right. Good start. Good start to the game. Okay, next one is hard. I have an easier version of it, but let's see if you can get the hard version of it. Okay. I would uh, yeah. Martin Riggs, Alex Forrest, and Marla Singer. Oh, Marla Singer. Um mm. Oh, I just had it and I lost it. Marla Singer is Huh. What was in the middle one? Alex Forrest? Alex Forrest. Uh, my brain already wants that to be Alex Frost. Um, <laughs> mm, I know Marla Singer. That's going to piss me off. Do you want the easier one? Uh, yeah. All right, I'll give you the easier one. William Wallace, Cruella DeVille, and Bellatrix Lestrange. Damn it. Marla Singer is... Helena Bonham Carter in Fight Club. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. William Wallace is uh, uh, Mel Gibson in uh, Braveheart. It is the uh, Mel Gibson Hamlet. It is the Mel Gibson Hamlet from 1990. Corella Deville and Alex Forrest are both Glenn Close characters. Alex Forrest. Is Alex Glenn Forrest Close. is Fatal Attraction. Correct. Yes. Very good. Okay. Next one: Penny Pingleton, Jimmy Logan, and Juggernaut. Penny Pingleton is a hairspray character. Yes. What was the second character? Jimmy Logan. I'm going to lean on that last name, Logan. Well, Penny Pingleton, I'm guessing, is Amanda Bynes. Correct. What Amanda Bynes teen comedy was? Is it like She's the Man? She's the Man was an adaptation of Twelfth Night. Yes. Is it really yes. though, or is it? Okay. It is like the character. Like they barely changed the names of the characters. I think the high school is like the name of the city. Like it is one of the less um, ad- adapted. Like it really ch- keeps a lot of that stuff. Um, All right. Jimmy All right. Logan is Channing Tatum and Logan Lucky, and Juggernaut is Vinnie yeah. Jones in uh, that one X Men movie that he was in. Okay. <laughs> I hate you so much. Oh well, get ready because this next one uh, is unwell. Um, William Shakespeare, Constance Miller, and Iris Murdoch. Well, someone who has played uh, William Shakespeare is it Kenneth Branagh in All Is True? It is. I was think I, I thought I might okay. uh, uh, shake you there, but yes, it is yeah. Kenneth Branagh. No. Uh, so Branagh uh, is it? Is it the Branagh Hamlet? It's the Branagh Hamlet. Any idea who Constance Miller and Iris Murdoch are? Um, uh, I know Julie Christie and, uh, oh, Iris Murdoch is Kate Winslet. In Iris, yes. In Iris, yeah. Constance Miller, lean on that last name. For Julie Christie, Miller. Uh. And imagine Warren Beatty in a big old beard. Oh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Yeah, okay, exactly. Duh. Very well. I love that movie. Yeah, it's really good. Um, next one, The Joker, Robin, and Alex Mack. Uh, it's 10 Things I Hate About You. Yes. 
walk us through it. Heath Ledger being the Joker. Heath Ledger being the Joker, Joseph Gordon-Levitt being Robin, and uh, Larissa Olenek is Alex Mack of television fame. Some of these are television. Okay. Uh, Hedda Hopper, Jane Hawking, and Q. Uh, Hedda Hopper's gotta be um, Helen Mirren. In? In the abysmal trombo. Yes. Uh, Q uh, is that Ben Wishaw? From the new Bond movies, yep. Ooh, what's this movie? What was the second name again? Jane Hawking. Again, maybe concentrate on the surname. Okay. Um. I mean, is it Stephen Hawking? Is it uh, Felicity Jones? It is Felicity Jones. Is this because of Helen Mirren? Is it The Tempest? It's Julie Taymor's The Tempest. Well cool. done. Cool. Didn't know anybody but Helen Mirren and <laughs> Jaiman Hansu were in that movie. Ben Wishaw plays a, a ghost, like the spirit of the wind or something like that. It's sure. Whole thing. All right, next one. M, The Phantom, and Bryony Tallis. Uh, this is Coriolanus. Yes. Care to walk um, us through? It is, uh, well, Q is uh, Ray Fiennes, M. or M is Ray Fiennes, yes. sorry. Yes, Um The Phantom is uh, Jared Butler. Yep. Talk about facial blindness. Um, and uh, Bryony Tallis is Vanessa Redgrave, From- who is great in that film. Yeah, and uh, as she is in Atonement as well. Okay, next one. Jonathan Harker, Indiana Jones, and Sarah Palmer. Uh, Jonathan Harker is that Keanu Reeves. Yes. Indiana Jones is uh, Harrison Ford. Yes. What's the third one? Uh, Sarah Palmer. Ooh. Okay, so Keanu and Harrison Ford. Oh, wait, no, 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 sorry. Did did I say yes to Harrison Ford? Because that's not right. Oh, is it River Phoenix? It is. Oh, okay. So, my own private Idaho. Yes, which is an adaptation of the Henry the Henrys, Henry the Fourth, Henry the Fourth Part Two, and sure, Henry sure, 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 sure. You know, you know, you know how it goes. Okay, next one is as I lose my place. Troy Dyer, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Paul Atreides. Oh, I should say Sarah Palmer is Grace Zabriskie in Twin Peaks. That's was, yes. finding a third actor in my own private Idaho was difficult, but yes. Uh, give me those names again. Sure. Once again, Troy Dyer, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Paul Atreides. I feel like FDR is going to be the fastest way for me to get in there. And you've pulled out Troy Dyer on me before, and it's a show that I should know. It is a film that you should know. Film I should know. It's an mm. iconic character for Generation X. Right. Iconic fuckboy, Troy Dyer. (laughs) Uh, Well, FDR. Okay. Who has played FDR? I will say, A, you should be intimately familiar with it from doing this podcast. But B, almost entirely, this will hinge on you getting Troy Dyer. (laughs) Unfortunately. Oh, okay. So is it... Is FDR... um, no, Robin Williams played um, fucking yeah uh, Eisenhower. Yeah, think farther back than the Butler. Butler. 
Um. Okay. Think Troy Dyer think is upstate a 90s. New York. Upstate New York FDR. Oh, Bill Murray. Bill Murray from Handjob on the Hudson. Yeah, Handjob. <laughs> Handjobs on Hudson. Um. Okay, Bill Murray. What was the third character? Paul Atreides. Okay. Um, I know that name too. I know Atreides is a. That's famous. Famous science fiction name that will be important later this year slash early next year. Oh, Dune. Yes. Kyle McLaughlin. Yes. So again, this is all going to come down to you knowing who Troy Dyer is. Iconic iconic Generation X fuckboy Troy Dyer opposite iconic Generation X uh, icon, let's say. Is it um, can't be Empire Records? Is it Reality Bites? Uh Uh-huh. Ben Stiller? Uh Uh-uh. Ethan Hawke? Uh Uh-huh. Is it uh, Lo-Fi Hamlet? It is Hamlet 2000, yes. Yeah. Lo-Fi Hamlet. Hamlet. All right. You couldn't have given me a Julia Stiles. You, You, okay, I will challenge you to name a single Julia Stiles character whose name you would know. Uh, Besides Desdemona in O, which I also couldn't do because you can't do a Julia Stiles (laughs) character whose name you know. (laughs) Who's the author that she plays in Hustlers? I would have known that one. Oh, God, no, but that's not the real name. They give her a fakey fake name. Oh, that's right. They give her a fake name. All right. Um, Jessica Pressler, Jessica right? Pressler, yes. Okay. Yeah. John Quincy Adams, Joan Crawford, and Nightcrawler. John Quincy Adams. Uh, no, that's not Paul Giamatti. He's just the singular He's just John regular Adams. John Adams. He's original John Adams. What's two and three again? Joan Crawford and Nightcrawler. Oh, okay. Uh, Alan Cumming. Is Nightcrawler. Is Nightcrawler, and Joan Crawford is um, uh, Jessica Lang. It's Titus. It's Titus, who's John Quincy Adams. Another Julie Taymor. Uh, yes, Shakespeare adaptation. exactly. John Quincy Oscar Adams nominee. is, of course, yeah. Oscar nominee Anthony Hopkins in Amistad. Ah, right. uh, yes, 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 yes. Leo Bloom, Klaus von Bülow, and Benson. Leo Bloom, is that the producers? No? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, Broderick. Yes. Ooh. What Shakespeare adaptation was Matthew Broderick in? Who's two and three? Klaus von Bülow and Benson. Venton? Benson. Benson. Klaus von Bülow. You're going to yell at me. Probably will. I like to yell at you. Um. Okay. Benson's from television. Uh, from a show called Benson. From a show called Benson. Yeah. That sounds like a Ted Danson type of thing. It's not. But if you don't know the name, you don't know who it is from knowing that it's a TV show called Benson. Um, all right. I will give you an alternate name to Benson. Uh, Max Bialystok. Nathan Lane? Yes. You're not about to tell me that the producers is a... I'm not. A... No, I'm not. 
No, I wouldn't give you the characters from the from the movie that we were trying to guess. That's not okay. the game. Nathan Lane, Matthew Broderick, why can't I remember them as something else? Klaus von Bülow, I will say, is an Oscar-winning role. Oh, um, okay. Who won an Oscar for playing something named Klaus? Um, oh, no, 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 because we were just talking about him, the most sophisticated heterosexual Jeremy Irons. Yes. All right, so put it together. Uh, in, uh, buh, buh, buh. Uh, reversal of fortune yes fun movie correct that is a wild pairing of three people uh-huh um what in the hell is this movie that i can't think of and i know it's gonna be embarrassing and you are delighting in stumping me i will say the connection to shakespeare is probably the most tenuous of all of the films we've talked about broderick jeremy irons Nathan Lane. Oh my god, I I hate you. I hate you so much. This is not fair. You didn't even prompt me that it could be voice performances. It's the Lion it's King. It's the Lion King. I'm so excited. Okay, all right. That was wonderful for me. That's not fair. That's... Listen, I did not say that the rules of this game were that I had to tell you if something was animated. You that say that I trick game. you all the times in the games that I give you. Oh, I fully own that I tricked trick you in that one. No, I will fully own that. Yes, absolutely. The Lion King, loosely, loosely, loosely based on Hamlet. Okay, um, a few more. Velma Von Tussle, Dorothy Parker, and Big Edie. Uh, okay, so Drew Barrymore is Big Edie. Nope. Or no, Jessica Lange is Big Edie. Yes. Um... Dorothy Parker is Holly Berry? No. No, she played Dorothy Dandridge. Yes. Um, what was the first name? Because I had that one. Velma Von Tussle. Velma Von Tussle. Um, uh, oh, this is A Thousand Acres. That is Michelle Pfeiffer, um, which is based on King Lear. Yes, which is based on King Lear. Dorothy Parker was Jennifer Jason Lee in Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle. All right. Which I need to see. Magneto, Edith Piaf, and Remus Lupin. Uh, Michael Fassbender, this is, um, uh, the Fassbender Macbeth. It is. Edith Piaf is Marianne Cotillard, and Remus Lupin is our friend David Thewlis. All right, last Marianne one. Marianne Cotillard is great in that movie. I've never seen it. I should, but I haven't. It's not worth seeing other than that. <laughs> All right, final one. Sherlock Holmes, Sidney Ellen Wade, and Charlie Chaplin. Oh, that's two Robert Downey Jr.'s. And uh, Sidney Allen Wade is Annette Benning in The American President. Very um, good. So let's assume uh, that it's not Charlie, that, that it's not uh, Robert Downey Jr. twice. So someone else who, I don't think anybody else has played Charlie Chaplin that I remember. So it's got to be a different Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Or I should try to guess it. Oh, no, it is, um, it's Richard Third. Yes. Because it's Ian McKellen. It's Ian McKellen, who played Sherlock Holmes in Mr. Holmes. You did very oh, well on that quiz, Chris, beside the fact that I tried to break your brain with The Lion King. Benson, by the way, is Robert Guillaume from the television series Benson, ah. who was also a voice in The Lion King. All right. Well done. Good job. Can we talk about Keanu Reeves? Okay, so Keanu Reeves, I don't think is that bad in this movie. He's also barely in the movie. He's he, like a but he does get like a movie. big, like sneering monologue that I 
don't think works very well. Which he's shirtless, and that yes. does work really well. Keanu Reeves' so iconic hairy nipples. Less. We are, yes, we are very happy to have Net that. Net positive. Net positive. Yes. He's nominated for a Razzie, yes. which is stupid. It's like we all kind of forget that the Razzies hated Keanu Reeves in the 90s. To be fair, Not however, fair. this does come right on the heels of, again, all of these actors in this movie were like Dracula. really having a moment. Comes on the heels of Bram Stoker's Dracula. So it was... Two years of Keanu Reeves being cast in projects that don't seem to fit his vibe and him sort of standing out because of it. And not in a good way, I think. I think he's fine. If they really felt the need to, like, nominate this movie for something, they could have just as easily done the, like, star that is terrible in Michael Keaton, or they should have nominated an actually bad performance with Robert Sean Leonard. You are being mean to Robert Sean Leonard, and I don't like it. But yeah. He is the quintessential middle part um, <laughs> actor. But you you underestimate the impact that middle part people had in my life. Anyway, um, yeah. I agree with you that Keanu's not as bad as a Razzie nomination would indicate. I do feel like... He does take me out of the film because anytime he's on screen, I'm like, oh, I'm watching Keanu acting rather than I'm watching a character, which I don't know what he could have done with that. Keanu's a very like it's 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 his curse, right? He's never not Keanu Reeves. He never is able to disappear into a character ever, with the exception of Neo, which I think succeeds so well because it plays into what we think of Keanu Reeves. We're like, that character really is the sort of babe in the woods who is ushered into this whole sort of like new world of knowledge. So all his Keanu-ness really pays off. And I would argue that his best performance where he transcends that kind of thing even a little bit is probably Speed, Mm -hmm. where I do buy him as kind of a hotshot, you know, cop even though he's still Keanu in very many ways. But, like, I think that's the farthest afield from the sort of, like, affable, slightly dumb surfer guy that he had really, like, (laughs) uh, established himself as with, you know, Bill and Ted and Point Break and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I guess it's before all of that had kind of really settled in but he is great in my own private idaho oh absolutely but like, that, everybody's great in that movie yeah i'm not listen i am not saying that keanu reeves is a bad actor i do i just feel like his cross to bear is that he just is never able to disappear into roles and so he needs sure. to make that work for him in you know whatever he does and a lot of times he does he's a great movie star because of that great movie stars have a hard time blending into things because they're a movie star. Like that's fine. Like that's sort of, you know, Hollywood was built on stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But in the ensemble of a Shakespeare adaptation is maybe not the best use of that. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Fine. Um, Talk about Michael Keaton though, too, because. What a, what a sweaty, (laughs) sweaty man that he plays. I was still like, this is where I felt very dumb on like a Shakespeare literacy level. And especially because this is an incredibly convoluted plot. 
I was confused why we were spending so much time with him and like what he really had to do. We spend so much time with him. And it absolutely takes away from everything else that's going on in the film where, and this feels like an adaptation problem, right? Where like, if you're adapting this and you don't want Dogberry to completely take over the majority of the back half of the movie, just shorten that part. Just like compress right. that. It's not that, you know what I mean? That seems to be. It doesn't really serve right. much other than like to let Michael Keaton kind of flounder in this like bizarre, gross. I will say, I'll bring up the comparison of the 2013 Joss Whedon adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing, which was kind of a film festival sort of thing. It also can definitely feel like a self-indulgent kind of thing where it's like it's black and white and it's all his friends and, you know, they had gotten together on, you know, weekends to just like read Shakespeare stuff and that's where it came out of and like yada, yada, yada. I found it charming. I also love all of those actors from all of the various Joss Whedon shows. So like it really played into my interests. But I think that movie, which casts Nathan Fillion as Dogberry, does that th- does that right. Whereas he's the comic relief, but he's, you know, in the movie as much as the comic relief you would imagine to be in a movie, where they sort of pepper him in and he's funny and then he, you know, goes away. I never saw that one. I can't imagine <clears throat> putting myself in front of it right now, but... Why? Why right now? I just like there's there even in the pandemic there are just other things <laughs> that I could watch. Are you were you a, were you into any of those Just Whedon shows? I don't think that's ever a thing we've talked about. No, not that I can really think of. Not a Buffy any. guy, not a I was a Buffy guy when I was a kid, but like a lot of Buffy details have kind of left my brain somehow. You haven't transitioned um, into being a Buffy adult. I did not transition into being Buffy adult unfortunately. Many of us have. It's a thing that I would cross me back. I absolutely would. I would just have to be like mindful of it. But, it's like, a fun thing to watch. like talk about on Twitter at nauseum because like truly we're all stilling still having the same arguments we had uh back then. <laughs> truly it's a great way to arrest your adolescence is to be an adult Buffy fan, for sure. But yeah, I think that's a film that does that character more economically than what this one does and i wonder if because keaton was a big star at the time again this is the year after batman returns which like doesn't do well but he's still like he's your big screen batman and i wonder if part of the deal with casting him in this is like well we have michael keaton now we gotta give him a lot to do and we gotta let him go big and we gotta let him do whatever and to me (laughs) I kept thinking of the perfect size for this role is Miracle Max in The Princess Bride, where (laughs) just, like, give him a good, you know, five, ten minute scene and that's it. And then just, like, and then we can, like, get back to our business elsewhere. Um, I don't know why it reminded me of that, but, like, his little, you know, lair in this movie, whatever, his office where he interrogates the two henchmen. Reminded me of Miracle Max's little cabin. I don't know. Maybe I just wanted to watch The Princess Bride. Why not? Um, can we talk about the Golden Globes? Yeah, you talk about the Golden Globes, and then I'm going to uh, talk about Cannes. So, yeah. 
This is like absolutely the Golden Globes comedy or musical lineup that like people people say that they want. So it's like the Mrs. Doubtfire yeah. wins, which is like wild, but not that wild. Like, I love Mrs. probably Doubtfire. Robin Williams completely carried it to that win. Yep. Um, also nominated was Dave. Much do about nothing. Sleepless in Seattle and Strictly Ballroom. What a great, like, diverse spread of musical or comedy. All of which fit the category. They're mm-hmm. all either musicals or comedies. Like, they're not, like, nobody's trying to get away with anything. They're- Two of them were uh, Oscar screenplay nominees. You've got a very satisfying broad comedy in Mrs. Doubtfire that wins in a way that, like, people are always grumbling that the Golden Globes don't you know, recognize actual, you know, broad comedy comedies. That's definitely one. Like Dave for being, you know, a little headier is still pretty much like a bread and butter comedy. It's a studio comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Much Ado, Strictly Ballroom, and what's the fifth one? Sleepless in Seattle. Sleepless in Seattle, right. The Classic like, romantic comedy. Deserving winner, right? Right. So you're getting Ivan Reitman recognized. You're getting... Uh, Nora Ephron recognized you're getting a good, you know, Shakespeare adaptation, and then your fun, young, new, up and coming Baz Luhrmann movie. Like, that's you're right. That's a perfect lineup. Well done. Fantastic. Once again, it, interesting we that stand the like globes. they didn't crack actor or actress categories in comedy. I mean, I guess maybe t- just to me. What do you mean? Expl- uh, explain. Okay, so like, why weren't Kenneth Branagh or Emma Thompson nominated? Oh, this especially film, because it's such a big year for Emma Thompson. Why weren't they nominated right. in the comedy categories for? Was she nominated movies? twice at the Globes as well for the other two movies? Pulling it through, it is like kind of psychotically organized. <laughs> uh, she was double for nominated. both in the name of the Father and the yes. of the Day. So maybe they were like, maybe three is too much. Possibly. But you're right. I think she absolutely deserved it. She Here, did get a nomination. Let me read you Sorry. the nominees and why I think if this is a Best Picture nominee, it would track that this that they could be nominated as performers. All right. Okay. All right. Actress, Angela Bassett, winner, amazing, incredible. Deserved. One of the finest screen performances of all time. Unafraid uh, to reference or not reference. Yeah, we yes. love it. Uh Diane Keaton, Manhattan Murder Mystery. Stalker Channing, Six Degrees of Separation, Oscar nominee. Flawless. Uh, Angelica Houston, Adam's Family Values. I love that Flawless. nomination. Um, yep. but still. Angelica Houston and Adam's Family Values has one of my favorite underrated line readings in A, that franchise, but B, like all of studio comedies from whatever. When... Um, there, it's the scene where they're at the police station where they're talking to Nathan Lane. Speaking of Nathan Lane, is the cop who they're trying to be like essentially like this woman my my brother married has uh, absconded with him or whatever, and he keeps talking about like I have seen horror, I have seen terror, and every time he says it like I've seen horror, and they cut to Lurch, and he's like I've seen terror, and they cut to the grandma. My name is Gomez Adams, and I have seen evil. Ooh. I have seen horror. I have seen the unholy maggots which feast in the dark recesses of the human soul. There it can. And it's so (laughs) 
funny. Oh my god, it makes me die laughing every time. But it's like, and the way she like she pauses the exact right amount of time and then like tilts her head and leans in. It's oh, it's perfect. It's a perfect moment. Uh, other nominee: Meg Ryan, Sleepless in Seattle. Of course, wonderful performance. Uh, the actor comedy nominations are. Uh, winner, obviously, Robin Williams, Mrs. Doubtfire. Right. Johnny Depp for Benny and June. Huh. Which is clear. I mean, like, that has to be a star fuckery thing, right? Like, it, Benny and June. Uh, well, but. Fine. Johnny, not a great movie. Johnny Depp was a star then, but it wasn't like current day Johnny Depp where, like, I don't know. That's sort of a, that's a, that's a quirky little nomination for a movie that, like, wasn't really doing anything anywhere else. Right. Uh, He's doing his little Buster Keaton thing. Indeed. It's cute. Tom Hanks for Sleepless in Seattle. Kevin Klein for Dave, obviously. Correct. And Colm Meany for something called The Snapper. Okay. So there was definitely... I've never heard of that movie. not a thing. But there was definitely an era that kind of culminated with the full Monty, I want to say, where... Quirky British comedies just were like a Golden Globe avenue that they went down. I'm thinking of like Ned Kelly. I'm thinking of the Englishman who came up a hill and went up a hill and came down a mountain, like that kind of stuff, where I feel like they were just sort of like attuned to that. Came- was What was the... um the Jane Horrocks nomination that she got that one Little year. Voice, but that was an Oscar nominee for other things. Sure, but it felt like, it still felt like that's the genre of movie that, like, um, the Golden Globes, like, for whatever reason, somebody at, you know, whatever British production company was doing that, like, knew the right people at the Hollywood Foreign Press and, like, <laughs> got them a screening and a cocktail party or something and did enough. That's interesting. He was the bad guy in Far and Away. So he was, you know, having He's a up moment. there. He's happening. Yeah. Emma Thompson did get a nomination at the Independent Spirit Awards that year, where Much Ado About Nothing was nominated for Best Feature. And I think those were, yes, those were the only two nominations that it got. But it's an interesting. So Emma Thompson is nominated. I think that's one of those, like, again, She's the moment. She is, you know, an icon in the moment. Now, come on now. But um, they couldn't nominate her for The Remains of the Day or In the Name of the Father. And for whatever reason, because normally they restrict these to just American movies. So for whatever reason, Much Ado About Nothing must have had enough American financing. Is it a Miramax movie? No, it's Samuel Goldwyn. Yeah. Well, Samuel Goldwyn's an American company, so that does it. Uh, she gets the nomination. She loses to, that's the year that Ashley Judd wins for Ruby in Paradise. That was her big breakout, mm-hmm. which I'm not a film that I've seen, but like I trust the people who say she was great. Cause, and that was a movie that like, that was nominated for best feature, best director. That was the year at the Spirits that Shortcuts won film and director for Altman. So mm-hmm. that's really good. Other nominees were, uh, Arian A. Johnson for a film called Just Another Girl on the IRT. Uh, May Chin for The Wedding Banquet, which is a cool nomination, the Ang Lee film The Wedding Banquet. And Susie Amos, the future Mrs. James Cameron, for a film called The Ballad of Little Joe. So this is when still the Independent Spirit Awards were really, like, going off the grid and giving you, like, 
real, you know, recommendations and stuff that was like, it's the kind of thing that they still do a little bit, but like just less than they used to. Mm-hmm. So, interesting. It was also a uh, top 10 film among the National Board of Review, which actually, let me read this top 10 to you because it's actually like a solid National Board of Review lineup where it's like... Wait, can I try and guess? Oh, sure, sure. Um, This and maybe like one other thing are like very National Board of Review, but like this was... Pro- the other one is probably even more respected than Much oh. Ado is. And it's an Oscar nominee too, so... See if you can guess this top 10, which is a really good top 10. So it's got to be Schindler's List. Schindler's List, yes. I gotta say Philadelphia. Philadelphia. The Remains of the Day. Yes. The Fugitive? No. Uh, That would have been a really fun one for them. Okay. Um, In the Name of the Father. Yes. All right. Shortcuts. Yes. You have four uh, more movies. Because Much Ado makes uh, six. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 1993. I would love it if What's Love Got to Do With It was, but I don't think it Sadly, was. Sadly, no. All right. I'm trying to think of... Oh, The Piano. The Piano. So three more. And one of these three, you said, is another sort of, like, weirdo one? Uh, One, I, I mean, okay, in fairness, I haven't seen this movie, so maybe I shouldn't shit on it, but it does seem like the type of, like, fluffy, um, uh-huh. like, Oscar-y product, and it is an Oscar nominee. Two of these are Oscar nominees. One of them in, um, one of them was, like, it got a bu- it got a couple nominations, but is like perhaps the Oscar failure of the year. The other one is a movie we could absolutely talk about, and I love this movie, uh, but is not uh, Oscar nominated. All right, The Age of Innocence I think is one of them. Yes, The Age of Innocence is the kind of Oscar almost right. flop nomination for Winona Ryder, but nobody else got anything. Okay, mm-hmm. two more. One of them which was an Oscar nominee, and one of which wasn't. Yes. Was the Oscar nominee an acting nominee? Yes, it was. Is it Fearless? No. Okay. All right. Is it... Let me double check that I'm not crazy that this was an Oscar nominee. Multiple nominations, actually. Multiple acting nominations? No, just one acting nomination and then a screenplay nominee. Hmm. So I was right, but then more. Do I love this movie? I have no idea if you've even seen this movie. I haven't. This is a movie that was probably uh, more more wrapped up and sold off of uh, a performer who was not nominated for this movie, but was nominated for another movie. Shadowlands. Shadowlands. Shadowlands, the C.S. Lewis biopic that Deborah Winger was nominated for. Okay. Correct. All right, so this le- next one was not nominated for any Oscars. Not nominated for any Oscars. Kind of cool? Kind of a cool choice? Um, I think that this is a cool choice. I think this movie was like seen as boring prestige because it's an adaptation, but I think this movie is fantastic. Um, the cast is fantastic. An adaptation of a famous novel? Yes. Like a classic literature or like a more a newer... A, a newer modern literature. 
Pelican Brief? <laughs> no, not the Pelican Brief. Um, Pelican Brief, I think, got like a score nomination or something. No, this is a movie that in recent years got talked about a lot, but for some reason kind of fell away from like wider consciousness. Well, not Jurassic Park. That never really fell away. No. Um, I don't know. I give up. It's the Joy Luck Club. Oh, this is the Joy Luck Club. I didn't. I thought for some reason that that was a '92 movie. Yeah, it's like kind of hard to place in the year because weirdly, like the awards run for this movie should have been so much more than what it got. Um, yeah, that's a good the cast point. Is so goddamn great. Um, yeah, no, that's a, that's all of your clues were very spot on. Very well done. That is a good list. That is a good NBR list. Good job, guys. This was also Much Ado About Nothing was uh, in competition at Cannes that year. That year that uh. The Piano and Farewell, My Concubine tied for the Palm Door, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Lee won director for Naked. David Thewlis won actor for Naked. Holly Hunter won actor... Or, sorry, David Thewlis won actor for Naked, and Holly Hunter won actress for The Piano. Interesting year. Yeah. Joel Schumacher's Falling Down was a can competition title. Had no idea. Wow. Honestly, good for Joel Schumacher. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm happy. I'm happy that that happened for him. Um, yeah, some interesting... I'm trying to think of... Su- oh, Soderbergh's King of the Hill was in competition that year. Pretty cool. Good stuff. All right. Pretty cool. Uh, do we have anything else we wanted to get into for this film? Mm-hmm. Talked about so. Denzel. We talked about... Oh, so, like, this was a thing I wanted to talk about maybe up front, but we'll do it now. The sort of the Shakespeare of it all. Because I think there's this sense that because Shakespeare is sort of, like, bulletproof in terms of prestige level, Mm -hmm. that a Shakespeare adaptation is always going to be a big Oscar contender. I think we saw that when Coriolanus was coming down the pike. I think because there is this sort of, like, history of... You know, like Olivier's Hamlet, which is the only Shakespeare adaptation to ever win Best Picture. But like, it really, like, Olivier is such a sort of standard bearer in terms of like Hollywood acting. And like, that really like set a template. And there were, you know, Best Picture nominees from Shakespeare stuff, especially in the sort of 40s and 50s. You had Olivier's Henry V in 46. You had Julius Caesar, Mankiewicz's Julius Caesar in 1953, got a nomination for Best Picture and for Marlon Brando. Uh, The 1965 Othello, which starred Laurence Olivier as Othello, um, got nominated for him, for Maggie Smith, for a few other actors. The Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet is a... Best Picture and Best Director nominee in 1968. So, like, there's definitely a history of it. But, and I also feel like in modern times, we sort of conflate the idea that Shakespeare in Love is an Oscar winner with the idea that Oscar still loves Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. And it's just outside of, you know, the Branna, those two little Branna moments, we haven't really had modern Shakespeare Oscar nominations. And maybe that's partly because we are in an era where people are kind of uh, re-envisioning Shakespeare in a way that right. audiences are not always. Um, uh, it's either perhaps a certain like prestige audience or an awards voter isn't quite ready for like the Bosler and Romeo plus Juliet. Um, right. 
or it's pushing it's Shakespeare like into it, genres that are not Oscar genres. Yeah, or like teen comedies. Right. But I also feel like just as the 1980s sort of Oscar fascination with the Merchant Ivory British costume dramas faded, I think there's a sense among prestige sort of Oscar voter types or um, even like top critics that Shakespeare adaptations, unless you're really doing something funky with it, like, you know, like a Richard the third was like incredibly well-reviewed because of the ways that it sort of like made that, that play malleable into a different era. Um, but that like got a lot of, you know, critical support, but didn't mm-hmm. really break into the major Oscar categories. It's kind of like a bummer that McKellen didn't get a nomination for that. Cause he was so great. Um, but I think there's a sense that unless you're really like upsetting the apple cart with a Shakespeare adaptation, that it just feels sort of stagey mm-hmm. like Coriolanus, you know, updated that story in a very sort of similar way to Richard the third, but still like, wasn't what for whatever reason wasn't what oscar was looking for i'm so excited to see what joel cohen does with macbeth with denzel washington and francis mcdormand yeah that seems to be that That if anything's gonna do it direction and any type of cohen-y direction too it could be incredibly dark and bleak and violent or it could be funny kind of misanthropic comedy as well it could be a real dark comedy yeah 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 um yeah, it's very exciting. And that will be a really interesting litmus test because, like, the Coens are fully in the Oscar wheelhouse at this moment. So, uh, to the point yeah. where they get, like, Oscar nominations for Busker Scruggs when they yep. really don't want to campaign for it at all. Same with uh, Hail Caesar. It got that production design nomination, right? Yes. Yes. They, like, absolutely. refused to do any type of Oscar work for that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. I want to go through my notes. I would um, also say this is a move, one of the rare non R-rated movies with definitely visible penis. Um, yeah, like butts Vita. and baths and, and and nudity in that opening montage. Yeah. I love it. Lots of uh, uh, dangly things. Um, Imelda Staunton, the Telltale Strumpet. I mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Um, my last note is just okay i do love a reveal because like that wedding scene was very much just like uh a very lip sync for your life kind of moment for kate beckinsale's character absolutely lifts the veil and and she's not her cousin she's her um beckinsale doesn't get a ton to do besides sort of look pretty and and then be menaced and cry towards the in that uh moment that's bad for her character um Beckinsale's an actress I've loved intensely in certain parts and then sort of like becomes very forgettable in other parts. But the ones that I love her in sort of sustain me. The yeah, we got to do Last love Days and of Disco's and Love and Friendship. Like those two performances are so good, are so good. And she's so like, and it's again, both with Stillman movies. So like, I feel like he taps into this, um, queen bee sort of like semi-oblivious queen bee like very it's because both of those parts are are similar her last days of disco performance and her love and friendship performance where um you almost can't believe she behaves the way she does Mm -hmm. like oblivious to other people's sort of irritation with her but it's so perfect she does it so well 
You saw Last Days of Disco recently. You seem to enjoy it. Yeah, it was one of my uh, early quarantine movies that I was like, I haven't seen this. And I finally caught up to it. And I, of course, fell in immediate, passionate, uh, undying, uh, will carry it with me to my last breath's love with that movie. It's a wonderful movie. It's a wonderful movie. Highly recommended to anybody who wants to see it. It's a movie that, like, it's just in really interesting ways ties, like, you know a phase of personal growth that I think we all go through where it's like you finally move on into adulthood. So it's like, and ties it to a cultural like happening of like quite literally the title of the movie is last days of disco. But like, (laughs) I guess like all of our youth is disco. Um, Yeah. But does it in a way and like the ending which is perfect it is in the pantheon of like maybe top five most perfect endings of all time the subway nods towards nostalgia in a way that feels um a lot of movies that i think are about this type of thing or it's like nostalgia is bad or nostalgia might be toxic or might be holding you back it feels like nostalgia is fine nostalgia is okay and uh well it understands the pull of it Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 yep oh i love it Want to do IMDb game? Heck yeah. Uh, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If those titles are television or voiceover work, we'll mention that up front, unlike Joe does in his games that he makes for me. Uh, and after <gasps> two long guesses. <laughs> you, exactly, yes. Correct. It was rude <laughs> of you to not do that. Um, but after two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That is the IMDb game. Very well said. Chris, would you like to give or guess first? I want to guess first this week. Okay. I, feel I like think that that's what happened, happened last week, too, but whatever. All right. Um, as, as ever, I never remember who gives or guesses first the previous week. It's fine. All right. So I obviously went the Kenneth Branagh route, which had uh, a route with many detours on it. And <laughs> the one I decided to take was the Hercule Poirot route. One of the stars of the, as I mentioned, disappointing remake of Murder on the Orient Express was a eventual Oscar winner, Olivia Coleman. Oh, played... my beloved! Yes, so good. Um, How I'm much TV have... is on there? I will tell you, none. Oh, okay. No television, no uh, peep show, no The Crown, no... Uh, 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 um, oh, what's that? A million different British procedure? shows. Broadchurch, no Broadchurch. Um, uh, I feel like this could possibly be easy because A, I have, uh, scarcely seen any of her television work and I've seen a lot of movies that she's in just because she's in them. Uh, her Oscar win for the favorite. Absolutely. The Lobster. Absolutely. She's so spectacular. Fucking funny. Spectacular. Lobster. Um, Okay. Actually, no Fleabag is surprising. I will say. Yeah, it is surprising. Um, the Iron Lady. No, although very mm. good guess. Not the Iron Lady. It, it, rightly so. The Iron Lady uh, should not be um, uh, acknowledged. Um, I don't think Hyde Park on Hudson is going to be there. Because that's gone away. 
Um, what does that mean? It ca- surely can't be the terrible, um, uh, like Pentecostal snake movie that she is f- in for some reason that was at Sundance like two years ago. What Pentecostal snake movie? It's like it's a um, it's this religious cult in the woods, and oh, like they absolve their sins. I know with what snakes. you're. Can I tell you? I thought that trailer looked interesting. I haven't seen that movie. You're talking about them that follow. I thought sure. that trailer looked really interesting, and then I heard everybody hated it, and I'm like, okay, I guess I won't see it, but I kind of wanna. This is this is the weird. Um, Caitlin uh, Deaver's in that movie. You wanna... Yeah. Anyway. She's not even the protagonist. Um, I, I, who is so deathly afraid of snakes, will watch <laughs> that movie. Granted, half watch it because anytime there's a snake, I will look away. Right. Um, but I, I won't watch The Crown. I can't do it. Oh, that's funny. She's very good in The Crown. I'm sure she's great in The Crown. I'm sure she's great on like all of her TV shows. It's just also, like, Helena Bonham yeah. Carter is a fucking scream on that show. I will say that. Like, a delight. Um, okay. What else am I going to say? Um, is, well, is Murder on the Orient Express on there? No, I don't do that, that sort of thing. I mean, that makes sense. It's, even though it's a big movie, she's like 20th build. Yes. That's my two wrong guesses. Oh, sorry. Yes, you're right. You do have two wrong guesses. All right. So now you get your hints, which are the years 2007 and 2011. Is I mean I can't place the year for this, but I'm just trying to think of like she's definitely second build in um, Tyrannosaur. Yes, she's that incredible is in that movie. She got some nominations for that for sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the first time I saw her in something, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Um, it's an incredibly hard movie to watch. Um, she got a uh, outstanding debut. Oh wait, that's for the writing. Never mind. She got a British Independent Film Award for that movie, and uh some other nominations she was uh what else am i seeing london film critics circle award winner for best actress best british actress yeah so that makes sense she got prizes for that movie um patty considine directed that movie yeah um haven't seen it yet but yes uh which year was that that was 2011 so you still need a 2007 okay so (laughs) Um, oh seven. Is it be? Is it when she plays one of the cops in Hot Fuzz? It's when she plays one of the cops in Hot Fuzz. Yeah, I should have. I should have guessed that. She's very funny in that. That was sort She's of really the kind funny. of thing that she was doing back then, where it was just like very British ensemble stuff. She was sort of, you know, often like the woman in this sort of like ensemble of you know very funny men and whatever, and. It worked for her. I don't know. I thought she she was, you know, very funny in that movie. Yeah. You go back and you watch a lot of that kind of stuff and you're just like, oh my God, there's Olivia Coleman. Who knew? Well done. Good job. Olivia Coleman is an excellent choice. Yes. Thank you. For you, I went into the archives of the Much Ado About Nothing route and I looked because certainly, certainly... Shakespeare in the Park had done a Much Ado About Nothing. Turns out they did. Who was their Beatrice but Miss Blythe Danner? Oh, wonderful. Oh, I love it. Blythe Danner. 
Oh, that's going to be difficult. All right, let's start with Meet the Parents. Meet the Parents is correct. Meet the Fockers? No. Okay, all right. That's a dead end. Is it the wonderful I'll See You in My Dreams? Is that one of them? Yep, love that movie. Okay. Okay. All right, Blythe Danner. All right, now, what other, like, and no television, right? No television. No voice Not her two-time Emmy-winning role in Huff? I'm I'm incensed. (laughs) It's wild to me that she won back-to-back Emmys for Huff in the age where it was, like, early Grey's Anatomy, where, like, Sandra Oh and Chandra Wilson were tearing it up, and... I think Six Feet Under. I think she took a couple of like the Lauren Ambrose ones that I wanted to, her to win for Six Feet Under. Anyway, I'm getting far afield. Okay. Blythe Danner. I'm trying to think of like stuff where she would be, because you're not going to find a whole lot of leads, but like, was she opposite Gwyneth in anything? Maybe not. Pretty sure she was in. Uh... Sylvia, right? What didn't she play her mom and Sylvia? Yeah, she options, did, but that's but... way too small of a movie and way too small of a role in it for that to show up. But yeah, good point. Um God, now I can only think of her in um Will and Grace. And obviously that's television, so that's not gonna count. Not Meet the Fockers. There's gotta be another one where she's like the mom. Because I think there's not a, not enough of the I'll see you in my dreams type movies where she gets to play the lead, unfortunately. Where, like, there's got to be something where, like, she's the friend. She's the, you know, she's not one of the women in um, It's Complicated, but, like, she could be. All right. I got to make a guess to at least get myself into the hints. Yeah, yeah. Of this. Yeah. Um, she is in, oh, well, she's in Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. I doubt that's right, but I'm just going to guess. Uh, first we bake the pies, and then we eat the pies, and then we go home. <laughs> no, Tu Wong Fu is not on there. Uh, she's so wonderful. I love her. All of the townswomen in Tu Wong Fu are incredible, including Beth Grant. That's the thing love. about that movie, is it sells itself as a movie where, uh, these A-list Hollywood tough guy actors are playing drag queens. And yet what it really is, is a, um, it's a stealth, s- stealth bomb of character actresses that will not a great movie. Feet. And all of the, all of the, uh, macho the Trojan movie stars that's, are that's great. In that movie. Um, okay. So your two years, 2006, 2011, 2006, 2006 has shown up an unwell amount of times in this game. Well, 2006 is the year of Huff, so I don't understand why that's not there. What's the other one? 2011. Two thousand eleven, and it's not Little Fockers. No. Well, gosh. Same genre, though. Actually, 2011, I will just say we have had an uh, unintended uh, symmetry with uh, some of the titles that have shown up on our 
uh oh imdb games this what week. does that mean God, I don't know, but now I want Blythe Dinner in a Yorgos Lanthimos movie like crazy. <laughs> that would actually be fantastic, I think. Is it? It's not the Melanie Linsky movie, Hello, I Must Be Going. Is no, it? but that's a good movie, and Melanie, is, Melanie Linsky is great in it. She is. I'm up. I'm, I'm at a loss. Okay, okay, 2006 has come up in a lot of IMDb games. It is very unwell that it has. I don't know how... This has come up so much, featuring one of our favorite topics. One of our favorite topics. Which might be uh, real-world cast members. Oh, is it a Jacinda Barrett movie? It is. Maybe. Jacinda Barrett, 06, not Letter 49. No. Okay. Not... That's later than the human stain. I am positive this is at least the third time that this movie has come up. And oh my god, is it the last kiss? It is absolutely the last kiss. Tony Goldwyn's the last kiss, starring Zach Braff <laughs> and the beautiful butt of Eric Christian Olsen. Yeah, um, I forgot. It's her and Tom Wilkinson, right? Are like the yeah. parents in the yeah. movie, or at least they're on the poster. I have. Did seen it come up on Tom Wilkinson's? Is that why? Pretty we sure did this it came before? up on Tom Wilkinson's and Casey Affleck's. <laughs> That's wild. Okay. Um, okay. So the last one you get is uh, remarkably um, aligned with the last one I got. Hot fuzz. Another okay. Hot Fuzz was oh seven. So what was before that? Before that was Shaun of the Dead, but that was oh four. So it's not one of their like, I like official films and whatever that trilogy is called. Uh, yeah, Coronado I would say this trilogy. is probably less than iconic. People probably forget about this. But it's Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. It is two thousand eleven. You are right. It is not the trilogy, so it is not the world's end. It's not Run, Fat Boy, Run. What a terrible movie that was. Yeah, notedly fat person Simon Pegg. Ugh, yeah. fuck that movie. Stupid fucking movie. Oh my god. All right, this movie doesn't exist anymore. This movie I saw in theaters and thought it was, like, fine, but, like, it absolutely stopped existing, like, a month after it came out. It's Paul, right? It is Paul. The alien movie, Paul, with Seth Rogen as yes. the voice of the alien. That's why doesn't Blythe Danner have better IMDb's? That's insane. Had no idea she's in the movie, Paul. Did not know before I did this. I still don't even remember. Like, I remember that Simon Pegg is in it. I totally had forgotten that Nick Frost was even the other guy in it. Oh, and it's a Greg Matola movie. That was the movie where, like, oh, Greg Matola was on such a roll after Adventureland and then nothing. Oh, that's why. Um, no, that's fully insane. Again, a fine movie, a, you know, not a bad movie, but like, good lord. No, Blythe Danner's other ones should be Will and Grace, because that's absolutely the role I first think of for her. And I don't know. Hello, I Must Be Going is a fine choice for that. Like, why not that? Why not to Wong Fu? Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. In a, in a more correct world, I would have been right. Is what I'm saying. Her pie line reading is fully iconic, and it is long. fully iconic. All right, good job, well picked, well done, good episode, very good episode. Shakespeare. All right, yeah, finally, finally, we have addressed Shakespeare. You're welcome, Shakespeare. Recorded people. live, socially distanced. We all wore masks. Recorded live from the stage of the Globe Theater. 
Yes, as all our episodes are. You don't know it, but we record all our episodes live from the stage at the Globe Theater. We are in our element, as always. All right, that's our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? I am on Twitter at crispyfile, F-E-I-L, letterbox, same name. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd as the same name. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star interview... Uh, say that again. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts' visibility, so if this podcast left you feeling blithe and bonny, please convert all of your reviews of woe into hey, nani, nani. That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Everyone's a winner, baby, that's so loud. You never fail to satisfy.